This episode discusses suicide, anxiety, and depression. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or depression, please contact the Suicide Hotline at 800-273-8255. My next guest is no stranger to the listeners here at the 40 Plus Files. Her extensive knowledge about all things mental health has transformed the thinking of many. Whether she is helping her own clients in her Chicago-based practice or speaking on the world stage, she is bringing mental health awareness to any space she occupies. Coming up next on the 40 Plus Files, our resident therapist and awesome orator who tells it like it is, Lisa Butler. Women over 40. Welcome back to the show, Lisa. Hey, how are you? I'm good. So I'm good. I'm really excited to have you back on the show today. Now, for those who may be new to the 40 Plus Files, I just want to remind you who Lisa Butler is. Okay, so season one, she is, well, she's our resident therapist. That's what I like to call her. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank you. if you are new to the show, Please check out her past episodes, season one, episode two, Finding Your Light with Lisa Butler. Lisa shares her own journey. So it's amazing. She's really transparent in sharing her journey. Season two, episode seven, Mental Health Matters with Lisa Butler. She broke down a number of hot button mental health topics such as anxiety, depression, and trauma. And season three, episode eight, probably my all-time favorite Lisa Butler episode where we talk about relationship dynamics between Black men and women. That was a a hot one. Still getting a lot of downloads. (laughs) 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 So if you are new, please check out those episodes with Lisa. Yeah, get to know her. I'm just so happy to have her back on the show today. So I think we may have had these discussions before in passing when it comes to social media and mental health. And we're going to get to the topic of suicide, but I've heard some mental health professionals talk about the connection with suicide and social media. So in your opinion, is there one? Sure. Um, Social media is useful, but it's also highly problematic. Uh, And I think that for young people, especially, it can definitely... Uh, mental health challenges, for sure. Okay. So let me ask you this. What does a healthy relationship with social media look like? And I know that this this could probably run the gamut regarding the age of the user. So what does a healthy relationship look like? A healthy relationship with social media, in my mind, looks like no more than 20, 30 minutes a day. I know somebody out there like, she's crazy. Um, And let me say this. As a business owner, you know, that might be different. I know I use social media for work, for, you know, getting messages out about emotional mental health. So maybe different for somebody who's using it for work. But I'm talking about the typical kind of scrolling through uh, and looking at different folks post and whatnot. I would say I like social media for the uh, there's funny stuff on there, sometimes really good stuff uh, to make us laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, it can be useful too. And I don't watch the news, so sometimes I'll see stuff that I might want to look deeper into on social media. Death announcements, unfortunately, of famous people sometimes. That's where I get that from. Um, I think it's useful in keeping connected with people that don't live you know, close to us. Right. 
uh, seeing what people are kind of doing, engaging with your folks that you don't see and talk to often. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it's good to, <laughs> sometimes we shopping, we see things on social media you want to buy. <laughs> so, you know, bad, some good uses for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like 30 minutes, maybe you split it up throughout the day. iPhone, I think, has a timer that you can use for social media. Hmm. And I know a lot of my friends engage that. So once the timer is up, it'll add, it, well, it'll tell you your time is up for the day. So they're going to cut it off, right? You can choose to extend the time or take that off, right? But mm-hmm. it does give you an option to enable that clock on your social media use, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I love that yeah. idea. I love it. So what then, in your opinion, does an unhealthy relationship with social media look like? <laughs> Endless scrolling. I ask my clients all the time, Jacqueline, I'm like, what are you looking for? Because when you just keep going and going and go, what would satisfy you? And they can never answer that. They're like, I don't know. I'm just on there. And so we're just going. So that's unhealthy. Um, comparing yourself to these people. Man, that's a whole nother show. Yeah. Right? Thinking about people looking at people and thinking that these people's lives are a certain thing. You don't know these people. Right. <laughs> and folks lie, okay? People ain't putting up there, I'm depressed. My marriage is about to break up. Nobody's putting that on there. So they put, I have seen pictures of friends and relatives of mine with their spouses. talking about we lovey-dovey. And I know for a fact <laughs> that them relationships is busted. And I just laugh to myself. Relationship goes, you don't know what these people are dealing with at home. You know, all of the influencers on Instagram and and people really start to feel some kind of way about themselves based on what they see. So that's definitely unhealthy. Uh, of course, with young people, cyberbullying. I have a, a young client who, so she won't post anything. She's like, well, if I don't get a hundred likes, then what does that say about my posts? Oh my goodness. Man, it says that people... You don't even post a lot. So if you don't post a lot, you may not get a whole bunch of likes. Because people have to get used to you being on there. But why are you worried about how many? But people do worry about how many likes they're going to get. And so it says something about, I guess, your popularity or how people feel about you. And I love that Facebook has a, it's a little meme that they have. It's uh, somebody at somebody's funeral. Mm -hmm. And it says, it was like three people in the audience. And they said, but you you had 50,000 friends on Facebook. (laughs) Right? Uh, yeah, 50,000 friends and three people showed up at your funeral. So I think that makes a really great point that these are not your friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't know 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I continue to clean my Facebook page out all the time, my personal one. So uh, that, that's another unhealthy use of it. Uh, looking for validation through these forums. Yes. When you mentioned that you clean your, or, you know, you go through, because I do that as well. And mm-hmm. I used to question myself, you know, to me, it's not validation to me to collect friends, right? On Facebook. And I always say, you know, my friend and I were laughing about this the other day. I'm like, if you would not invite this person in your house to look through your photo albums, why would you friend them on Facebook to be looking at your vacation pictures and stuff like that? Right. So no. And that's just how I feel. You know what I mean? So, you know, I just, I just don't, you know, I get friend requests all the time. Like, nope, delete. No, I'm good. I'm good. Nope. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And I, I just think that it's a space in which you should be able to control that. You don't have to accept a person's friend request just because they're asking. <laughs> but 
some people really thrive off of popularity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all these people are, you know, a part of my life in some way, or, you know, they like me. Oh, they don't. They mm-hmm. don't even know you. Right. You know, so um, if you're getting validated through social media, my goodness, find somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So how do you know then, or how would people actually know that social media is negatively affecting their lives? What are some signs? I think that if it's, if you're on it all day, if you can't put it down, if you're at dinner with your man or woman or whoever, and you're going through your, through Facebook and Instagram, if you have to do it at work, if you can't put your phone down, we got a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, if the first, a lot of my clients say, oh, first thing I do, I, I pick the phone up. First of all, that light does something to your brain. So then you're not really, you're really not going to be able to go back to sleep. Uh, but if the first thing you do is to pick up that phone in the morning or at night, or when you wake, if you wake up in the middle of the night, uh, that's a problem. Constant posting to me too. Oh, how much time, where are you at that you got the kind of time to be constantly posting? I have some, I know some people who I love. And they post great things, but they are literally on Facebook all day. I just don't understand because yeah. I don't. Right. Yeah. So if you're posting all day long, you know, I think that there, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Unless that's your job, you know, you're some kind of, you know, content creator or something. That's different. Right. But that would indicate, you know, some issues uh, around your usage of social media, if that's what you're doing all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I also think too, if you find yourself fighting with people on social media, like arguing with people now, I do do that sometimes. <laughs> Usually if somebody says something negative about black people, I, mm. I got to give it to you. I, <laughs> I can't not. <laughs> so I'll say something. But if you find yourself in full-fledged arguments with people, going on people's pages, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's negative use of, of social media too. Because you know what you can do? Just keep scrolling mm-hmm. or get off social media and cool off, mm-hmm. period. So yeah, absolutely. Personally, for me, time is such a valuable commodity. So I just won't allow myself to just mindlessly scroll or I won't devote, you know, a certain amount of hours to social media because- I can do other stuff. You know, I can, I can do a whole lot of other things, you know, with my hours in a day. So, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, did you see? I'm like, I ain't been on social media in, in three days. <laughs> I want to say before I forget, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but young people, young girls, uh, 12, 13, uh, there's been some correlation between higher suicide rates or suicidal ideation for young girls who stay on social media more than three hours a day. Mm. Um because again, comparing yourself, not wanting to post, you don't know how many likes you're going to get, cyberbullying, all those things can cause depression and the likelihood of, of suicide in young, probably young men too, but I was just mm-hmm. taking notice to, to young girls because mm-hmm. I, I see that and hear that from young women I've worked with over the years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's important to note because a lot of times, you know, young people are on social media and I think they are the ones who played the comparison game, right? They're the ones who, because they're not, you know, their brains are not developed enough to know comparison is a thief of joy, all of that stuff. 
you know, it's useless to compare yourself to other people. They're not there yet. So <laughs> I can definitely see no, that. No, they're not. And we know that uh, adolescent psychology is clear that <laughs> for adolescents, their peers are the most important things on the planet. Mm-hmm. Not their mama, not their daddy, not peers. So mm-hmm. if if that's the case, then we can understand why their usage of social media. I don't understand. You know, I don't, I, I, and I don't have a teenager, but three hours a day, I don't know why my child would be on social media for three hours. I, I don't know. I guess if you don't have, they have a phone and they ha- have Facebook and Instagram, you can't really control it. But I think that's a lot. Yeah, that sounds excessive. Even if you're watching their kids. Also, <laughs> and also, why was a 12 or 13 year old be on Facebook? I don't understand. <laughs> to do what? <laughs> Does your baby have access to, to she have, does she have a Facebook page? No, ma'am. No Facebook, no Instagram. Okay, no I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, she's almost Good. 11, okay. but still. Yeah. For what? For what? You know, I know some eight, nine-year-olds yeah. who do. And again, you know, that's, I'm not judging other parents, but no, you know, I mean, yeah, she does, you know, YouTube yeah. and stuff like that, but social media accounts? No, ma'am. No way. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I just don't understand why, why that wouldn't be. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to shift the focus a little bit to particularly Black men in suicide. You know, I think it has been such a spike, you know, especially in recent years. So again, in your professional opinion, what are some challenges that Black men are faced with today that weren't necessarily an issue in the past? it has been an issue that just hasn't been addressed over time. I think when I think about Black men's mental health, I mean, what what time has Black men's mental health been a priority for anybody? Mm. I'll wait. Right. <laughs> when? Wow. When has Black men's mental health been important to anybody? Mm. Now, I see more people talking about it probably in the last three years than I have in 53. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that it's ever been a priority for anybody. So Black men, and then when you add uh, hyper-masculinity, toxic masculinity to the equation, that becomes a barrier to them even saying, hey, I, I need some help. I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. So um, the demonization of Black men in the media, watching Black men be murdered by the you know by the police so much in, in the last probably five or six years probably longer than that, mm-hmm. that does not help mm-hmm. Black men think about themselves in healthy ways, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't help your emotional to be afraid within and without, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we got Black boys and Black men have to be worried about being killed within the community, mm-hmm. being killed outside the community. So that's a constant for Black men. And I and I know social media has added to that because we get to see the murders. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that that doesn't help their mental health and just a lack of space for Black men to get help, a lack of space for them to say, I don't feel good. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling. Mm. Just a lack of space. So I think these aren't things that weren't, I mean, this is today and in the past. Mm -hmm. I think it's just gotten these last, I think the pandemic did something to people too. It seems like mm-hmm. for me, um, these last three, three or four, three years, 
people think about death more mm-hmm. uh, because of you know how many people right. lost. Yes, people are thinking about death more, and people are seem to be less afraid to mm. do it. Just wow. okay, I'm. It's just it seems like the you know how especially black people used to be like I don't do that I ain't gonna kill myself. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's just all this death around us and a sense of hopelessness mm. with jobs, you know, kind of going away, recession, mm-hmm. pandemics. It's a lot on people's mm. nervous systems. And even with black women, we have a we can call a girlfriend or you know, we we there's a less stigma for us to say, you know, something's wrong, I need to get some mm-hmm. help. Mm-hmm. Black men still aren't, you know, they don't feel comfortable doing that in large part. And so I think the kind of pressure on our nervous systems mm-hmm. has increased dramatically and folks just can't handle it. Anymore. Wow. So I'm thinking about, especially when you have people like Stephen, you know, Twitch Boss, who was Ellen's DJ, who's, you know, at the forefront and seems so happy all the time. And uh, Regina King's late son, Ian Alexander Jr. So when people say, oh my God, you know, they seem so happy, especially Twitch, you know, he seemed happy all the time. But one of his very close friends right after was saying that he struggled. People just didn't see the struggle, but Mm -hmm. he was struggling and yet put on such a brave face for the world. You know, I think we talked about this before in terms of how they are hurting inside. I think Twitch was a really good example of you don't know what people are going through. And men usually die by suicide from the most lethal ways. Like Mm -hmm. they don't play around. Ain't no pill taken. Mm -hmm. Gunshots to the head are the Mm -hmm. most probably one of them the more popular ones and then um, hanging. Mm. Uh, so they're not playing around when they do it. They, mm-hmm. they generally don't. They, they intend to die as a result of whatever the method is. I want to say though to black men have been so dehumanized in society. They're not human. Um, I don't even think we think about them as human sometimes. I think there's a lot of, we see them as however we figured men should be. Mm-hmm. strong, whatever those things are. So how do I, as a man, come and say, hey, I'm, I'm not feeling the greatest. I'm having these thoughts. Because what are people going to think about me? Mm-hmm. What does that mean about my uh, masculinity, right? Also, I think we don't talk enough about, too, sis, Black men and, and rape and sexual assault mm-hmm. and molestation. Mm-hmm. And then struggling with your sexuality as an adult man because, and you haven't, nobody knows this, right? Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, kind of fighting with that, uh, I think there's some conversation around that too. Mm-hmm. People struggling with that, uh, with their sexuality and uh, because of things that have happened to them as children. Mm-hmm. I don't think we talk about that enough. Mm. That's, I think a big part of some of, some of this too. We don't talk about that, like in terms of, Women and molestation, girls and molestation and incest, and but it happens as frequently to boys as, as it does to girls, mm-hmm. and they have to hold that. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. So, how does that play out for you? Yes, and I really want to. I would love to kind of think about and talk about and look at the sexual assault, boys, and suicide. I bet you there's a really serious correlation between uh, those things. Mm-hmm. So, 
just not having spaces as Black men to say, I don't feel good. And then I think the more people do it, the more people will do it because mm-hmm. it becomes easier. I, oh, that person did it. Oh, that person did it. Mm-hmm. Then it just, okay, then I can do this too. I'll go ahead and do it because you see it and you hear about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that yeah. uh, nowadays some men are more forthcoming about their experiences with sexual trauma as boys. Yeah. And so they're they're really trying mm-hmm. to change that. But we do need to normalize to start saying it's okay, right? Because like you said, I think that it's right. been normalized for women and girls to say, you know, I mean, think about it, the Me Too movement. <laughs> it's been normalized. Oh, yep. this has happened to me. Yep. Oh, you know, how can I? But men, there's this stigma for some reason around men. Or if that happened to you, you know, are you really a man? Or, you know, to me, that just isn't right. It is not right. I feel like we're trying to move in a different direction, mm-hmm. but it's still, I think there, there's more to be done around that. Mm-hmm. How can Black women be more supportive? We had some conversation around this on the last podcast, you know, relationship dynamics between Black men and women and how society kind of pits us, you know, against each other, that kind of thing. So how can... Black women support Black men more, you know, when it comes to that, when it comes to emotional health and things of that nature? I think we have to start seeing Black men as human too. Mm -hmm. They have emotional lives too, just like we do. And I think we have to acknowledge that. We have to check in with our husbands and boyfriends and, and dads and brothers, you know, our male cousins, nephews. Uh, all those things. We have to check in with people. How are you doing? If you see something, if you, if somebody's, you know, the idea, you know, we all have these kind of folks in our families who do a lot of drinking, right? And people are like, oh, you know, that's what they do. Why? Why? Why are you drinking like that? Yeah. What's wrong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Asking men, how are you feeling? And, you know, pushing a little bit if you suspect that there's something going on with depression in men shows up just like it does in women. You know, insomnia or oversleeping, uh, not wanting to do anything, um, seeming sad, mm-hmm. right? So all of those things, it shows up in them just like it shows up in us. Mm-hmm. So if you see that, rather than just dismissing it, asking them, mm-hmm. are you okay? Create a space for them where they feel comfortable to to maybe tell you, no, I'm actually not feeling okay. Mm-hmm. I re- remember asking a, a ex-boyfriend of mine, you know, when was the last time he cried? He said, the last time I ejaculated. And I was like, whoa. Wow. And I got, and I asked him a deeper, I said, tell me about that. He was like, that's my coping mechanism. That's how I deal with my sadness. And he Hmm. was pretty promiscuous. So I think I I do. I believe that men do that. I believe men use sex as a tool to get through sadness. I do. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, it means he's not happy. Mm -hmm. Something is happening on the inside of him. That's not a happy person who's who's going from person to person mm-hmm. doing that, who's lying to people in their lives, who's living outside of integrity. Mm-hmm. Ask, talk to him. I mean, not if you're being hurt by him. I ain't talking about that. But if you have a brother or a cousin, you know, what's going on with you? Why are you doing this? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So 
men are human beings. Yeah. They are. Yeah. You know, that was portrayed in this, in the best man final chapters, you know, spoiler alert. I'm not sure if you checked that out or not, but Lance's character did exactly that. You know, he lost his wife. Yeah. And so, yep. He's jumping from woman to woman, just trying to deal with it. So he won't feel, you know, Exactly. Yep. For sure. So speaking of, you know, suicide, we're talking about suicide in Black men and how sometimes, a lot of times, taken aback. Oh my God, I can't believe he did this or she did this. So let's talk about what has come up, I guess, in recent years, high-functioning depression, Mm -hmm. right? High-functioning depression. So is any kind of depression ever detectable because if there's high functioning depression, then there is obviously a type of depression that people can see, right? High functioning depression to me, okay, means that people are depressed. It's just that you just won't see any physical signs of it. Is that true? I think the high functioning depression, there are signs, but the person is able to go to work, to take care of their families, you know, to do the things that they normally do in their lives. There is a sadness uh, that's persistent. Mm -hmm. Um, There is more than likely some space in their life where they're not showing up in their usual kind of way. Mm -hmm. You know, the things that used to bring them joy no longer bring them joy. They just are going through the motions of life. That's what high functioning depression is to me. Okay. So depression is more than feeling sad. There's a certain amount of symptoms that have to be present two or three days a week. For major depressive disorder, I think it's two weeks that these things have to be present more uh, two or more days a week. Then for persistent depression disorder, it have to be these two or three things showing up over a course of two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's impacting your global functioning. So with high-functioning depression, People may not know because it hasn't impacted you being able to go to work. Usually when somebody's depressed, major depressive disorder or persistent uh, depressive disorder, they're not. I mean, they're in the bed. Okay. They're not able to do anything. They don't want to be bothered people. You know, they're not sleeping. Either they're oversleeping. They can sleep for 12 to 13 hours yeah. uh, or not sleeping at all. So those are that's the difference. But with high functioning depression, it's not impacting your global functioning. You can still get out and do things you need to do, but there's this persistent sadness. Okay. The person may either have insomnia, their anxiety may be, you know, kind of going crazy. And then, you know, crying spells and just simply not experiencing any joy at all. Nothing brings you happiness or joy. You're just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yep. can friends and loved ones detect it? If you are really clued into your friends, family, you know, if you're close to somebody, I think you could. I mean, you know, if you, how you doing? Uh, I'm okay. You know, what, what's going on? Nothing the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Uh, that person is not what they would normally be like, let's do this or mm-hmm. let's go here or, you know, let's get together or whatever. They're not doing that anymore. Okay. More crying, just not interested. And you just don't feel like they have any joy. A constant complaining, mm-hmm. always Everything's, you know, they pissed off about it. Mm. When you see somebody who's always mad, that wasn't normally like that. And it's usually a feeling of discontent. Mm. And then we get deeper. Just the person's not feeling. They are depressed. They're just not feeling great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I know we talked about this before in terms of uh, being able to help. Sometimes, you know, loved ones can help and friends can help, sometimes not. But are there ways to help if, if you see this? Like if there's someone and you know that they're normally outgoing and they're normally, hey, yeah, let's do this, like you said, and suddenly they're not, you know, mm-hmm. then how can you or how can a person intervene in a gentle way? Let me tell you how not to do it you know, start guilting them and shaming them about how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you ought not to be feeling that way. God is good, you know, and weaponizing scripture and all this stuff. No, if they don't want to talk about it, don't push. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. This is a safe space. You ever want to talk? I'm right here. I'm I'm ready to, to sit with you and listen. To you. Sometimes nothing, just being there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in their space or, you know, just being with them, literally just your presence. Uh, but then, you know, sometimes folks don't want to talk about it. And I know, especially us, we don't know how to just, just, okay. The person's mm-hmm. not, they're not ready. Right. But offering, you know, if, if it's somebody who needs help with something, sometimes if somebody's caretaking for a, a loved one, offering for, let me take, you go out for the day, I'll come and, you know, take care of the person. Mm-hmm. Things like that, Right. And just really trying to be there in, in ways that are comfortable for them and for you, but not putting a lot of pressure on them talking to you if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Just being there, sending flowers, sending cards. I'm thinking about you. I care for you. Sending a text. I'm here for you if you want to talk. Little things like that. Mm-hmm. And also, if they do want to talk, letting them talk without judgment. If they say, I don't want to be here no more. Not telling them that's a sin. Mm-hmm. You know what? Do you have a plan? No, I don't have a plan. Okay. And then, you know, talking, talking through that with them. If you had, you know, you start feeling some kind of way, call me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talk to the police or go to the hospital, but just approach it from a gentle, a gentle way mm-hmm. with compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. Don't we, we do, we tend to do a lot. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't need to do that. Okay. Give the person space to come to you, let them know that the door is open. That sometimes that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Thanks for that. Now, again, I, I think we talked about this before in some form or another, that there has been an uptick in people, and especially Black people, <laughs> seeking therapy. And I don't know if the pandemic really did it and, you know, it gave people time to sit with themselves and they thought, you know what, now's the time I'm going to seek therapy, whatever. So if someone is thinking about therapy and they're still, you know, they come from that background where there's stigma around it still. Okay. Because I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure there's still a lot of people out there like, I ain't going to therapy. Right. Of course. Of course. <laughs> and, be, and when you hear persons say that, you know, they probably definitely need it. Go ahead. <laughs> They'll be the main ones. I, I, I have some friends. I don't need no therapy. Girl, yes, you do. You the main one needs to be in there. Go ahead. <laughs> so what are this is why I love you, Lisa? <laughs> you keep it a buck. You keep it a buck. What are some first steps that people should take in finding a therapist if they're new to this and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I'm embarrassed. You know, they all kinds of feelings may come up. How should they approach? I think, you know, if you start feeling like you want to do it and you have all these kind of thoughts, 
Do you have any friends who are in therapy? Ask them about it. Hey, mm. t- talk to me about your therapist or your therapy experience. What's it like? What do you do in there? Right. And then when you decide that you want to, okay, then this is something I want. I would, I always tell people there's so many referral sites at this point. Uh, Psychology Today has a, a therapist. You put your zip code in there and um, they'll give you a list of therapists, you know, what they specialize in, wherever they're practicing from, if it's telehealth or they have an office. So you can go there, you can go to ZenCare, which, which is a big one. I like ZenCare a lot because not only do you get a chance to see the therapist, you have a recording mm-hmm. on that. You hear them talking about how they approach this work. I love that. So ZenCare, uh, Therapy for Black Girls, Open Path Collective. So you can go through these spaces and find people. This is what I want people to do. I want you to check out the referral sites or get a referral from a friend. Mm -hmm. Then I want you to look at what they offer, what their specialties are. Is this what it is that I need them for? Once you do that, call them and ask for a consultation. Do not go to a therapist without talking to that person for 10 to 20 minutes about Mm -hmm. uh, them, how they work getting your questions answered, finding out what their specialties are, because people should be vetting these people. Mm. I'm hearing horror story after horror story from clients who have had other therapists and stuff is, they're doing all kinds of interesting things out here. Find at least two people Mm -hmm. and call them both and ask for a consultation with both of them. And then from the two or three people, make a decision about who might be a good fit. Mm. Don't just go to the first person. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk to them in consultation, the question should be, you know, this is what I'm going through. How do you work with people with this issue? Mm. You know, uh, what's your theoretical orientation? Are you a psychoanalyst? Are you a behaviorist? Right. Ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, ask them, you know, talk to them about insurance and payment and those kinds of things. How long do you work with people with these issues? How long does it normally take the process take? Mm-hmm. Ask the questions and have a list when you do the consultation. And I would say, if you start with somebody and you have the first two sessions and it just doesn't seem like a good fit, it's okay to terminate the relationship, to tell the person, I don't think this is a good fit and to Mm -hmm. find somebody else. People terminate. I've had clients feel like this wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. And generally the client, the the, the therapist knows that. So uh, sometimes it's, you know, the side swipers. We're like, wait a minute, I thought this, we were going, you know, this was a good relationship. And the person was feeling some kind of way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have had clients that I've terminated with because it just wasn't a good fit uh, Mm -hmm. for me. And I also terminate with people who don't do their work. But that's, I digress. Mm -hmm. Anyway, (laughs) but um, I think that those are ways to approach therapy. Mm-hmm. Find a therapist. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because, I mean, I think that's probably the point of therapy is to do the work. I'm just, you know, it's interesting that you said that you terminate some of those client relationships because they Absolutely. refuse to do the work. Absolutely. Right? I will t- I, and I'll tell them in the consultation, I'll check in with you three or four months into our work. If I feel like you're not doing the work, meaning the strategies and tools that I'm suggesting, the homework that I'm giving. If I don't see people taking notes during sessions mm-hmm. and they coming back talking about the same stuff over and over, no, ma'am. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to waste. I have a wait list. No, mm-hmm. ma'am. Mm-hmm. Because it's not my work. It's your work. Yeah. I'm your partner. I can give you a safe space. We talk. You know, I get, I reflect back to you some things, strategies, tools. But you also have to do some work. You got to cultivate some practices, yoga, meditation, whatever those things are with my strategies and tools. 
then you're moving in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. You can always tell if somebody's serious, though. I'm fortunate enough to have a practice full of re- pretty serious people about their mental health. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, this uh, next question, I think I, I asked you about this before, and I'm not sure if you did mull it over, but you say, well, let me get back to you on that. Should children be aware if one or both of their parents are in therapy? It depends on the age of the kid. Um, I wouldn't say you tell young kids. I mean, who they right. don't care. What? <laughs> therapy. Um, but I just, you know what, though? I think it's if they're you know old enough to understand what it is mm-hmm. and you're saying, yeah, we're in therapy or I think it's a great thing because mm-hmm. uh, you know what it says to them? They should prioritize their mental health. Mm-hmm. So they understand that. You're right. teaching them that. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I think it's fine. If they're old enough to understand that, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. The only concern I might have is then, you know, what's wrong? Why are you in there? Like, what's mm-hmm. wrong, mommy or daddy or mm-hmm. whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, then trying to figure out how to communicate that without burdening the child or making them sad or scared. So mm-hmm. you have to figure that part out based on your kids, you know. Mm-hmm. You know your kid better than I do. So you'd have to figure out what they can handle is what, mm-hmm. I, what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. The child would have to be old enough to understand life and that age that would vary. If your child knows that you go X, Y, Z every week or every two weeks or whatever have you, and they they Mm -hmm. start to question, where are you going? You know, is it okay for people to say, oh, or to make up stuff or to skirt around the issue and hide the fact that they're going to see a therapist or talk to somebody? I don't know. Well, if you're hiding the fact you want to go on a therapy, then that's some issues that you need to work on. Why? Why are you hiding that you're trying to get help? You know what's funny to me? I swear to you, I think about this all the time. I go down my back stairs to take the garbage out and I fall and crack my skull. Guess where I'm going? Mm-hmm. To the emergency room. <laughs> why am I going to the emergency room? Because I need them to fix my skull. That's why. Okay. So if my heart is broken and I'm sad and anxious, depressed, and all these things, why am I not going to go to the, the emergency room to get help for that? I don't understand that. We go to church uh, to cultivate relationship and with God, Jesus, mm-hmm. temple, whatever you're going to, mm-hmm. um, and to get help for what else you spiritually. Mm-hmm. So why not? That's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the same thing to me. It's no yes. different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I personally think that it should be normalized. You know, I me think too. the stigma should be taken away when it comes to families especially Mm -hmm. Black families, I think we should normalize it. I think it should be a part of, I felt like it was just a part of my, you know, self-care routine. It wasn't anything negative to me or anything that was reflected as negative, right? So if people see it that way, hopefully if they're listening and they still see it that way, I really hope that changes. Me too. And if you think about it just simply as the emergency room for your heart, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yes. We are now at the end of February, but, you know, I think when the new year comes in, we're 2023 now, people make resolutions or they decide they're going to follow a different path, whatever have you. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you, what advice do you have as far as people embarking on a new path in the new year? Anything you'd like to share? I just want people to think about and prioritize their space. It may not be therapy, but find something that you can be intentional about every day that increases your joy, your inner joy, your inner peace, that helps you cultivate a closer relationship with self-worth, 
self-esteem, confidence. It could be reading inspirational text. Uh, the Bible and the Quran and the Torah, they're not the only holy books. Any book that you read that lifts you up and makes you see yourself as God sees you is a holy book. I just want people to disconnect from the idea that the Bible is the only holy book. It is not. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, get mad at me. Get mad at, at somebody else. I ain't going to say your mama, but somebody. Uh, <laughs> uh, but spend time by yourself this year. Mm-hmm. You know, prayer is us talking to God. I think silence and meditation is the time for God to talk to us. Mm. Then spend some time just sitting alone. Everything shouldn't be out here. Mm-hmm. How are you cultivating inner anything when you can't sit still for mm. five minutes? Ooh. Tell people no in 2023. Hell no. <laughs> Not going to be able to do that. Don't want to. I ain't going to be able to come tonight. I'm going to sit at home and read a book. No, it's a sentence. I want people to spend time thinking about the correlation between their mental health and their physical health. If your heart and mind are always in turmoil and chaos and you can't stop thinking, chances are you are setting the stage for the start of disease in your body. There's a lot of breast cancer right now around me. Lots of colon cancer around me. It's not just what we're eating in the environment. It's here and here. Mm. And for women, women who are people pleasers and codependent and holding words in their throat, breast cancer and suppression of feelings, there's a direct correlation. Wow. Mm. So we got to start being intentional about where we are here and here so that we're not diabetic, suffering from high blood pressure, heart disease, cancers, Alzheimer's. What are you eating? Mm-hmm. What you eating? The liver and all those uh, organs, they grow back. They regenerate. Mm-hmm. Do you want your liver to come back as a five guys cheeseburger <laughs> or some blueberries? <laughs> you want your liver to regenerate as a hog mall? Ham <laughs> hot? Or a piece of salmon. Right. Like, what do you want, right? So <laughs> we, we, we need to start thinking. And I'm, I'm being silly because it, it may, you know brings levity to the conversation. But, yeah. you know, what are you eating? How is it impacting your emotional health? You know, those, uh, and I said this to you before, that red dye and those flaming hots that I like, mm-hmm. I don't eat, but I like them, mm-hmm. causes anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. That red mm-hmm. dye number 40. So I want people to just slow down and think about the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. Not just how much weight you want to lose to go to Aruba this summer. What is the quality of my life? How often am I experiencing joy and peace? Do I know my worth? And it's not attached to the shoes on your feet. You are intrinsically, inherently worthy because God made you that way. Period. Also, this last thing, your partner is a direct reflection of how you feel about yourself. Ooh, wow. Ooh, people get mad about, I, I don't have folks I've talked to me for two years about that. Oh my goodness. Judgmental. Okay. Because you keep dating people who were just off the chain, ridiculous. I mean, and finding yourself in partnerships with folks who don't have nothing to offer you. Mm. 
So it sounds like it's related to, you know, people say, oh my God, she dates the, or he, whoever, they date the same person over and over. So is it that person attracting the... <laughs> You're attracting it. Wow. There's this whole energy field around us that is either bringing things or repelling things, mm-hmm. right? I was in an Uber one day and this man was like, I would love to ask you out, but I already know what I can do for you. I hadn't even said nothing. We were just talking about the weather. He said, I already know that I don't have anything to offer you, that there would be nothing for me to, to bring to it. So it's no point in doing that. I was wow. like, so that's the energy that I'm giving off. Not in an arrogant way, mm-hmm. but um, I think men can pick up on women who, you know, I'm probably not going to attract somebody who, you know, uh, is out here selling drugs. And I, I'm probably not going to attract that person. Mm-hmm. So if you're attracting a certain kind of person, there's a reason why you're attracting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it goes back to doing that yeah. inner work. Those all goes back to that. So you can attract something different. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Ah, well, this has been amazing as always, Lisa. Thank you once again for sharing your 40 plus power with us today. And for those of you, again, if you're new, please follow Lisa on her socials. If you want to share them again, Lisa, please do so. Across forums, uh, it's Lisa Butler LCSW. So that's Facebook and Instagram. And my website is lisabutlerlcsw.com. That's how you can find me. Also, I'm on Zen Care and Psychology Today and Therapy for Black Girls as well. Thank you, Lisa. Lisa is committed to spreading awareness about an array of issues on mental health. For more information about Lisa, you may visit her website at lisabutler.com lcsw.com For more information about the podcast, send inquiries to info at the40plusfiles.com You can also follow my blog at wordyprofessor.com Until next time, 40 Plus Phenoms, keep on shining. The 40 Plus Files podcast is produced by JJA Entertainment, LLC. The theme song Women Over 40 Doing Extraordinary Things was written and performed by Jacqueline J. Andrews and produced by Court Money Music. Over 40